everyone again. Welcome to another episode of the Lost Geeks podcast. I am the Doc. And I'm JT. Welcome. On this session, we're going to be talking about city building, a daunting topic. (laughs) Yeah, and kind of daunting, especially for you new world builders out there. Uh, There's a lot that goes into it. And we talked about this a little bit beforehand, which at first glance, it doesn't seem like the most interesting topic, but it's very, very important to have these cities kind of built out the way you want them to, because that's going to kind of set the group up for the different adventures they're going to be going on. So it is really, really important. So we have a couple different things we're going to touch on. So hopefully you'll find it interesting and at the very least informative. So yeah, like you were saying, uh, very important because they are going to be your hubs in the world but not something to be too intimidated by. And hopefully after this podcast, you're a little at ease with uh, moving forward in developing cities of varying sizes. Just because you're designing a capital city doesn't mean it has to be this huge endeavor. In fact, it could actually be quicker to design a large city than a smaller one, (laughs) depending on how you go about doing it. So is that that the truth? Yeah, no, that is straight up the truth. Uh, Sometimes your smaller towns, villages are going to take you longer because that's going to be primarily where your players are going to be having a lot of interactions, whereas your big cities, it's almost unreasonable to expect someone to map out something that large. And actually, if we can... The size of the town obviously is a big thing. And one of the first places we visited in yours, Carecroft, I believe, was kind of that small town. And like what made probably the design, and you can kind of speak to this, was the design a little more difficult with that? Number one, because it was the first town you probably designed. And number two, we interacted with almost everybody in the town and everybody seemed to have a name or almost everybody in the town. Yeah, that one took a lot of time, but I had a lot of fun with it because I knew that was going to be a hub for the players uh, for a long period of time. I think it went through our first full year. So the time I put into it was worth the effort, definitely. Uh, But talking about scale of city really quick, uh, there are varying sizes. Mm -hmm. I think you had brought up Fort earlier in our conversation from there. Uh, going up, there's a Hamlet, which is what I would call Carecroft right now is probably more of a Hamlet. And then you go to village, town, city, metropolis, which is usually going to be your capital. Capital buildings, yeah. And just to say, I have a lot of these on my map just because of kind of the power struggles going on, but there are quite a few forts. And when I build those, I typically make them, there aren't a lot of civilians living there, maybe some basic ones that sell some goods, but they're typically more defensible structures. Yeah, definitely. And Carecroft was a piece of land gifted to a lord from Aracourt, which was a kingdom um, a little distance away. I had planned that to kind of be the hub for the players. And so I really wanted the players to feel like they could go and talk to everybody and build up these relationships. And unfortunately, our group was new, so the role-playing wasn't there right at the start. So it was like, I've got a lot of work put into this and there's not a lot of interaction, which was okay because the story keeps going and I had those characters that can that some of them are still with you today, which is 
really or at fun. least relatives of the characters um the arthur jones situation where we ended up meeting his son way down the road and i think there was some information into my character's backstory we were given a monk that i was i kind of studied with some monks for a while my fighter character did just as part of my backstory and one of them happened to be living in this town so he had a little information for me so that kind of you know what information are you going to be giving the group we can get to that a little bit later but exactly and then you get into you know where where was the city you know you can ask these questions as you're going along where's the city located and uh this city was kind of central to the section of land you were the land they were on was a peninsula and so carecroft was kind of in the center of that and it was just a budding village it was just kind of getting it getting going when it ran into a lot of issues with some of the events that were happening in the world and unfortunately like with what i had planned uh the group was kind of nestling into that space and I wanted that because I wanted the group to feel like they needed to protect it. Like, oh, we don't care. We're just going to go to the big city and, you know, who cares about this small little space? But, you know, you'd and be I think surprised you to get that across. I think that did come across because there are definitely characters that I remember from there, as you said, kind of barley and hops. Like you said, hops is still with, with us. He's actually running a bar with my character, you know, two years later. <laughs> So there were definitely attachments made. And I don't, like you said, I don't think the role playing was quite as good as it probably could have been. But for, you know, early on in a campaign with a fairly green group, I actually do remember myself enjoying a lot of that quite a bit. And we did get attached to it. I could, at least I was attached to some of the NPCs. (laughs) And that's just, it's a feel good moment as a DM when you see those connections happen. And I actually had a lot of fun, you know, coming up with the shop names and the families and so I of love making shop names. I love creating <laughs> shop names. That's one thing I barely sell them outsource. I just try to come up with something really creative and I like And again, not, uh, to bring it up, fantasy name generator, great for ideas, or at least if you're not going to use any of the ideas that jump up, if you visit that website, it's definitely just fun to go there and start getting your brain jumped on like, oh, what names can I use? What's what's available to me? In regards to kind of something similar, I guess, is making the map of the town itself. Obviously, the smaller ones are a little easier to do yourself. Um, of course, you can look online. There's lots of city maps out there. Uh, I've had pretty good luck finding what I wanted unless I wanted something really specific. I've designed a couple. Like you said, it usually depends on how much time the group's going to be spending there. will depend on how much time I'm willing to put into the map. I have designed quite a few of the cities myself, but there's also quite a few I've outsourced to (laughs) random pictures from the internet. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to bring up the point of, you know, how much time should you spend building up a city uh, regardless of the size? And I think you have to always go back to, well, how much do I expect my players to be here? And again, it does throw you into that dilemma because it's like, well, I don't know what my players are going to be doing. You know, they might decide, you know, they're going to stay here. They might decide to move on. And I think it's just a good rule to, if, if you 
as a DM are not going to have a lot of events surrounding a city. It's more of just you can come here and get rest and resupply or repair, recover, whatever it may be. You know, that is what is going to dictate how much time you need to put in. And one thing I want to add to that, too, is this is and this is just me personally, maybe when I'm designing a town, if it's a small town, it's not too bad to do it yourself. But if you have kind of that medium size on up, the problem I run into is I want it to be kind of realistic. So it's annoying to me because it's like, well, I'm just going to be putting rows of these houses down. But even when I'm doing that, if this town's supposed to have several thousand people in it, they're not going to fit in these houses. And I guess part of that's just me wanting to be it's like the group's going to get the gist of this. But it, to me, I'm just like, I don't really like this. I want there to be, you know, several hundred houses for all these thousands of people that live here, not 50 houses. Because, <laughs> but realistically, you're not, it's just, if, if you're going to be copying and pasting houses, it's just, it's going to look kind of bland anyway. So you might as well just pull a big map online and it looks a lot better than you trying to do it yourself. Now, that being said, the smaller ones, you can make it look pretty nice. And a lot of times for the big cities, what I like to do, if I can't find like a well, you know, mapped out city that someone's created and put online, there are city generators and there's plenty of them where you can go in and put in some details and it'll auto generate a city. Yes, it's not going to be the most artistic. It's not going to be, ooh, look at how nice this is. But it gives a sense of scale. You can start saying, okay, you know, here's this district. Here's this district. You know, here's where the king or the lord or whoever the, the ruling house is of that city. This is where they're located. This is about how long it takes to walk from this end of the city to this end of the city. You know, here's shopping district here's entertainment and this is how i like to tackle those larger cities is giving an idea of what the layout looks like but then you want to go more theater of the mind and that's you're going to create the illusion that of what this city is going to be through the description you give as a dm and the details you add and i will say uh, you don't have to come up with a bunch of different things. If you've got your like little cheat sheets, like your names of people you can pull up or names of shops, you can have this large city and just build it more on the fly than have it all pre-prepared. And that can sometimes be a lot more fun, depending on how comfortable you are just rolling with what the players are gonna do. And I think the theater of the mind is important. Also, I have to make note is you've been holding out on me. I didn't know there was city generators. I see how you are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really didn't know, but I'll have to look at that. You'll have to, we'll have to have a chat about that later and you'll have to show me some of those because that yeah, might have come in oh. handy a couple of times, but I usually no, can find my maps pretty easy online. But uh, Aura Court, that. that map was a generated map. And I just generated and generated until I had a map that <laughs> looked nice and it was like okay this is a coastal city so it put the city by a coast and I was like ah oh, this is awesome and then you can have walls you can decide how big you want it to be and that's for me I like a little bit of visual it doesn't have to be you know this something you've put hours and hours into because when you are building your maps and I know you can speak to this it 
like a whole day can go by and oh yeah i finished i finished one map and i'm gonna use this map once and we're not (laughs) they're never gonna see it again and i yeah so that's that's one reason i've kind of leaned towards and there have been plenty i've made myself but i have been leaning towards pulling maps offline although i might use the generator just to have something a little more unique to my campaign so go back to the theater of the mind part real quick is there's a lot of things to and even when you're creating a city the early creative creative process you can kind of come up with some basic stuff to maybe describe to the group you know the architecture what does that kind of stuff look like we had kind of talked about this too is what kind of a vibe are you wanting to give off towards the group is the group well loved at this point is the city going to be happy to have heroes there are they i hate to say criminals but if the group is tends to be more of an evil or kind of that middle of the road group are they going to be more afraid are there people in the city that might dislike the group so that they have to watch out for what kind of vibe is the city getting the atmosphere i guess is what we want to say all of that i feel really ties into the story you are telling as a dm and that's a decision that you have to make. You can make a whole story take place in one city and pour all of your work into that city and the surrounding areas and not ever have the players really venture out from that. You just localize the story. Or do you want the players like really jumping from place to place around the world and experiencing different cultures and different places? Because I will say that does add to the workload but it can also be really rewarding. But if you're someone who's, you know, hard up for, you know, having the time to put into that. Or the group will just leave. You put like like days into this one city and everything around that town, the group's like, we're going over here. <laughs> that would be and so I, sad. I will say, unless, unless you're playing with, you know, maybe a, several people you've, haven't met before you might run into that issue but i found the group is usually always willing to go with the dm on the story they're telling that's not to say they restrict them but i don't i've never been in part of a group where we just said yeah we're gonna go and do something completely different and i would guess if you were doing a campaign where the group was really gonna go off the beaten path i would think you would probably want to discuss that up front in session zero just saying you know we kind of want to just do what we want to do you and you as a dm would know okay i don't want to have anything too story intensive other than maybe just some general plot points if this is a group of people who for whatever reason just want to run around and do whatever in the world yeah and i've i've had a dm who is who's pretty blunt with it and just said look this is what's in front of you but you're free to do something else if you want <laughs> and it, and that's what it was and it was nice to hear but even with that being said we didn't we stuck with the story that was being presented to us because that's where you're going to start building those moments that's where your backstories are going to start intertwining and you're going to start unraveling everything that's there and so you can go out and do stuff but again, like you said, that's something, you know, DM and players need to talk about in that session zero. So some other stuff kind of when we're thinking of these cities, in addition to kind of the atmosphere. So thinking of two is 
who's the ruler who owns this particular city? What group controls it? Are there any threats to the city that the group's going to be, de- or even threats to the group within the city? Uh, an example of this, I would say, is one of the cities I have designed, the Bay of Bones, which is basically our pirate city. It tends, one of the groups that controls it is called the Grey Phantoms, a group which you guys have really ticked off. <laughs> so it was kind of and dangerous to have the group wandering around the city, although the group didn't seem to be too afraid of them as they walked into their casino and gambled in there for quite a bit but eh, they did get into a little trouble at an ambush at a later point in time but they managed to survive but just as an example that kind of stuff is going to be you know the group knows that threat is there how is the group going to handle that are they going to sneak around the city are they going to skip the city altogether that sort of thing then you have your wealth and what kind of resources are available to the city that's going to I guess determine what the shops have and that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, how, definitely how, and these are all the questions you need to be asking as you're kind of going through this. How wealthy is it going to be? Is it wealthy because of corruption? Is it wealthy just because it's been here for so long and, you know, the community just supports it because that's what keeps them safe and fed? Yeah, what, and I guess this is kind of going off of what you said with Bay of Bones, and maybe you can elaborate a little more. Uh, what is the importance of that city in the world altogether? Is it a landmark? Is it a major place that the players are going to be visiting? Is it just some random place out in the boonies that, you know, some rather big events could be happening in? And I did design the Bay of Bones from the ground up. I wasn't really going to get too deep into pirate stuff at our campaign. Um, we did have a little bit of a section where you guys went out to see. It wasn't meant to be anything really lengthy. We might get to a pirate campaign down the road or at least something, but there's a lot of other events going on around that city. But when I was designing it, it was meant to be a place the group was going to be for an extended period of time. And I see the group coming back there. And the main reason I know that is because the group, so strongly dislikes the gray phantoms and the gray phantoms so strongly dislike you guys there's going to be that's going to be coming to a head at some point in the campaign so i know the group will be going back there so it was worth designing from the ground up i also had it i had a lot of npcs i had created for that city the reason for that is because the city was divided up into three sections and there was three different groups that kind of controlled the different parts of the city and you have the Grey Phantoms, which are basically running things. And there's a puppet governor that almost got assassinated. We're not sure if he has survived yet. The, he's kind of a frail old man. I kind of, Scrooge was kind of my inspiration for the guy. But the group kind of snuck up on him and karate chopped him in the back of the neck. It almost killed him, even though I don't, I don't think they were trying to kill him. But he's just kind of a frail old man. But he's kind of a puppet governor. So... The group has a lot to deal with there because the Grey Phantoms kind of control this puppet governor. And I think we even mentioned in our last podcast, Drake, the guy, the NPC who had died in the fight you guys were in recently, his family actually used to kind of, his father used to be the governor before the Grey Phantoms kind of flipped the table. And when the Grey Phantoms took over, that's when the city kind of started falling into ruins because they kind of, they tax and take everything Hey, you guys had talked to one of the shopkeeps, Stormy, a pink-haired gnome, which interestingly <laughs> enough is based on one of my sister's World of Warcraft characters. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to have her a little nod to her in the campaign. 
my sister actually did briefly play with us that one session, but D and D wasn't really for her. I don't think. I think she thought it was going to be a little different than what it was. I guess so. Uh, that's a separate topic we have to get into. But uh, so anyway, I threw her character in there. But the group had learned from her that the city doesn't have. I think you guys were looking. What were you looking for? It. It wasn't potions. There was something else, and she just she did not have a lot there. I think she had a handful of healing potions, but they were lower end ones to sell you. And she basically had said the gray phantoms kind of tax them so heavily and they kind of restrict the resources they're able to get. So it's kind of hard for anybody to get by. So, and I know the group as well, they tend to be liking the people. (laughs) So. Yeah. The common economy is broken. uh, Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I would say like with the political atmosphere of this region on the continent that you've created, the city is, rather important <laughs> to to the varying powers at least that's as a player that's what i'm getting is what happens here could affect what is going to happen with other powers and in the it, region yes this is true and some of that we won't even probably get into in this campaign as i've mentioned another pirate group the red specters have a whole separate thing going on that the group's not even really aware of out at sea. So yeah, and there I don't want to spoil too much because I'm not sure how quickly we'll get through what's coming up. I don't want to <laughs> spoil anything for you or if any of our members are listening. I don't want to spoil anything. Yes, there, and that's mostly to do with the political thing is there's a lot of connections they have with the other groups her, who do hold a lot of power in the region. This does tend to be kind of the town a lot of the outcasts and rejects of society go to because it is more of this pirate town i don't know there's a lot of factors involved in that so there are higher powers that have an interest in the town as well so i'll say that that'll <laughs> that's just a little bit <laughs> yeah and going off of uh, what you were talking about with economy and where the town the bay of bones currently is and struggling there's another good question in there to ask yourself while you are city building what resources does the Mm -hmm. city offer or have at its disposal in terms of shops entertainment services jobs i think we went into this town for a job for a character that we had met Yep. several sessions back and so we are currently in the middle of completing that job but while we were there talked to stormy and it's like okay you know we definitely want to help you know the common people and the, the businesses and the economy start booming again because if they start being able to boost the supplies and what they can create that's going to help us out but now that's led into all the complications with the gray phantoms and the two other powers that are kind of vying for control there yes (laughs) and also uh the merlin city that we had just gotten back from there were a lot of players and just to set kind of the stage for this i know a little bit about this because i helped create the merlin but uh you ran the sessions on this but they're not a warring society (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're lovers, not fighters. And so the group was there and I think several of the members were looking for like weapons and stuff of that nature. And I think you had to mention yes. several times that they don't have that. And this is very important. This is 
don't be afraid of this when you're city building. You don't have to make everything available. It's okay to tell a player, yeah, that's not available here. Well, I think the group, and I, I kind of created that problem a little bit as the DM because there was various gifts being given out to some of the group members from the, the group had recovered their divinity statue for them. The great Ozzy, as he is called. The city worships him. Pretty much every Merlin worships him. They're very strict on that, at least in this particular Merlin city. But they were extremely grateful to have this statue back. And some of the citizens were giving the group gifts as a result. And most of the gifts were very cosmetic in nature. They sometimes did have a small magical property, but it was stuff I had heard the group just players had mentioned along the way. So I, I did kind of take a little bit of what the group had been asking, but one player in particular, it was like, do they have this? Do they have this? And I think he was wanting something that was going to be helpful to him, but it just, it's like, they don't have weapons here. They don't have weapons. They don't have gunpowder. They live under the sea. It was all this stuff. And I, I understood where he was coming from, but I did actually put my foot down on it. It's like, as I said several times, this, they're more into crafting, you know, jewelry, clothing, that's more what this society is about. And I stuck to that. They, you could probably buy a sword, but it wasn't going to be a magical sword. It, they had clothing. It was or very ornate and fun, but it wasn't yeah. anything. <laughs> if they had weapons and armor, it was going to be some whole, like, tiny hole in the shop <laughs> place. With, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, rusting weapons. <laughs> yeah. So and do stick to what you kind of come up with. If you have a good idea for the city, don't be afraid as a DM to kind of put your foot down. I'm not, I try to let the group do what they want unless it really interferes, but this was just one of those things. It's like, no, the city is what it is. You're not buying any high-end weaponry here. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of brought that on myself a little bit when I was having them give some of the group members gifts, but that's okay. But again, the gifts that were being given, you know, I think my character got a necklace crafted from a hydra tooth that he had taken from combat it doesn't have any combat significance whatsoever unless you're i mean you could stab a someone in the eye with it but it's not (laughs) it's not magical in nature it's just it's for show basically yeah just basically for show that he had made uh, a musical i think he got a harp and then there was an enchanted necklace but it really didn't have any combat significance so that and that's so that's why I was happy to have them kind of gift this stuff to you guys and but and it's okay I don't mind so the players can ask but <laughs> asking more is not going to necessarily get you what you want if anything it'll make me put my foot down harder but I think if you're building these medieval environments these fantasy environments it's okay to say you know they're not going to have everything you know, it isn't Walmart. It isn't Target. It's not Costco. <laughs> we, need to, or... <laughs> we need to have the Costco in our world, though. That would be hilarious. Yeah, I'll just and the weapons will break really easy. They'll just be cheap, like knockoffs. <laughs> it's not even metal. It's a fake metal. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be really funny. Is they sell them like a oh yeah, this is a plus ten sword and pay. It's really cheap. Like this is really cheap. Like oh yeah, yeah. It's you like, can get a ten pack. Yeah, a ten pack. <laughs> buy in bulk <laughs> you buy healing potions in bulk yeah they could be those healing potions i created that oh that I made would those be hilarious yeah. 
there were some healing potions I made that I think you rolled a d6, and depending on what you rolled, different things would happen. And I think there could actually be a pretty decent heal mm-hmm. you got out of it, but then there was also, you could turn into, like, a, I don't know, there's a chicken. There was some kind of a polymorph effect, and or you could take damage, but there was, like, a only a 50% chance of actually getting healed. But, yeah, that, that would be hilarious. We could have that in the Costco. Yeah, I think yeah. that's going to be a thing now. It's a... It's a 50 pack, 50 pack potion and it's 1d4 minus one. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's that's gonna have to be coming into play somewhere. Maybe it could be a traveling. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to have the <laughs> I have some ideas. <laughs> I have some ideas. Well we could have a whole episode of us just going on about random ideas that we come up with. And we've had that happen before a couple of times. We'll bring up a <laughs> something randomly and it'll turn into a several hour conversation where we create an entire race and their entire history we probably shouldn't do that in the middle of our city episode though we could but <laughs> maybe one day we yeah pick that up and do that as a episode yeah or we could even yeah we could just cr- actually go about creating a city that's going to be in the campaign that would be kind of fun but so wait, we'll get back to the <laughs> topic at hand though. so we are lost geeks after all as you all know it's easy for us to get lost in conversation so so well, well uh, one more thing i want to kind yeah. of bring in with the uh, one thing you guys did with bringing so the group actually had talked the king of the merlin into letting his daughter come to the bay of bones as a ambassador of sorts you had taught the merlin had kind of isolated themselves from human society over the years due to how they were treated in the past. And the group actually talked them into bringing, I think it was some of their tradesmen and, a, and the princess to be kind of the ambassador. Now the Bay of Bones is starting to change a little bit. So you kind of also want to have that in your head. Is this a city the group can have a strong influence on and maybe bring in other NPCs, maybe build a base there? You have to kind of have that in your head too. How much, how much of a change are you going to let the group make to this city? Is it a big enough city where they could have a small impact or is it kind of a small city where, you know, the Bay of Bones is not that big, but bringing in the Merlin now and different trade goods from the sea, potentially, it could really change kind of the economy of the city quite a bit, depending on what happens with the Grey Phantoms, of course. And I will say, don't underestimate how driven your players can be to make changes, (laughs) not to call out one of our players who shall remain nameless, a writer, (laughs) has actually very big plans for not just the Bay of Bones, but (laughs) the entire region, apparently. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he at the end of the last session we played was revealing his master scheme to us of all the stuff he has planned for the region. I'm sitting here in my head thinking like, this is like five campaigns worth of material, maybe not five campaigns, but <laughs> five years worth of material of stuff that could happen. It would be fun. I, we're trying to talk him into running his own campaign because if we're going to get into these kind of ideas, this is where you run your own campaign. I'm hoping by uh, the end of next year, he'll have his own campaign going, but yeah. we'll see. And I will say it's a good sign when you see players that excited just because you know they are invested and they're excited and they want to be there at the next session. And that even when you're not playing, they're thinking about the campaign and having players like that in, is really special and, and something you shouldn't overlook. <laughs> and we, and I will mention this player as he probably knows a little bit more about some of the behind the scenes stuff than the other players, just because he will sometimes sit around after session and ask questions and stuff. 
So, and we have talk, been talking with him about DMing in our world. He hasn't DMed yet, but he's going to have his opportunity very soon. And I think he'll do a really good job with it. I'm actually really excited to see what he comes up with. I still got to li- get him to listen to the podcast, though, get some more <laughs> tips and tricks from us. But <laughs> maybe he'll have a whole several, quite a few of them to listen to when he gets around to it. So, but um, it is like you said, it is great to see a player so excited about that and actually wanting, to, you know, then having someone else's wanting to DM which is kind of nice for me because then it gives me a little bit of a break and you a break and maybe everyone in the group will be DMing eventually. <laughs> Just take turns. Well, and that, that theme of rotation and equality at the table is something we're trying to build into, you know, the system we have going. Hopefully, you know, that'll be definitely a conversation for another time. But Well, and just one little thing about that is we have an idea to give players a little more creativity within the world so they can have stuff themselves in the world that they've created and not just have everything be on the dm's shoulders but like so, you said, that's a conversation for another time yeah. that would be that would be like several episodes to talk about that we would like to get it a little further along before we start going into too much detail but we just like the idea of players being able to have more alts that are kind of or you know, player npcs player npcs we're still working on that i don't know yeah Alt in APCs, alternate player characters. I mean, I don't know. We're still working on a name. We have several names, yeah, going. <laughs> but that would be a way of if they wanted had an idea for a shopkeep, but they didn't have time to run their own game just to have, you know, a couple characters that they wanted mm-hmm. to showcase. This would be a way for them to do that and to take some pressure off the DM. So when players went to visit that NPC that player would be taking over the conversation and the role play of that character. And it gives the DM a, like a minute to themselves too. I kind of like that because it gives me a break. Like even if it's a five minute break as the DM, I'm happy to have that five minutes because I can start prepping something that's coming a little bit <laughs> next. Or if I need to get my notes caught up from what's been happening, that sort of thing. So I love that. I think that kind of started in your campaign. I had requested if I could make some NPCs that were going to be my character's students. And yes. it kind of gives me someone else that I interact with. And I just to kind of throw the group for a loop, I'll sometimes have these characters go out and interact with the other players as well. So, and I, of course, having DM before, it's a little easier for me to do that. Although it is, it is kind of weird in session. If I've been playing Bordis, my character in your campaign to then like, switch over to like dm mode for 10 minutes and like be playing the other characters it is kind of odd still to do that but i think if you did it if we do it more often it'll come more naturally yeah i don't think it'll be a as big of an issue once we get used to it and i think being in our new system will help facilitate that i think it will it will being in dungeons and dragons 5e system it's really hard to jump into what we're creating and then jump back into D mode it's like it is very jarring because it's like oh now i've got to i've, I've got to be like this mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, i think the first character that we really did was in our court with the group's meeting of honeydew oh yeah that's right i forgot that was actually yeah and we actually got really good feedback the players really seemed to like that switch up where you kind of took the dm role for a little bit yeah, I actually, Honeydew is, um, 
I guess I'll group notes <laughs> a little bit about him now. I, I don't like to leave too much spoilers, but he's a time traveling penguin. <laughs> is <laughs> the best way to describe him, and due to his time traveling, he is kind of a mad scientist of sorts. So we had a session where I I think I was just I wasn't really bored of playing board I just wanted to shake it up for a session so I had requested that I could play as Honeydew and I think I originally I was going to build him as just kind of a typical character and I think we came to the conclusion it's like well he's not going to really be someone I play regularly he's going to end up becoming more of an NPC in both campaigns he was also meant to be the bridge between our two campaigns to start with there's more and more bridges as we go along but we were kind of setting the stage for this character in my campaign as well. So yeah, I did take the role. He had some, he has a shop that has rare and strange magical items in it. So the group got to kind of interact with him there and he gave them some missions and stuff like that. So it was really interesting and fun. Yeah. I forgot. I don't know. I shouldn't really forget about him. I just forgot we had kind of done that first before I created those other ones. Yeah. And it was, for me, it was really fun to just kind of sit back and watch the group just start role-playing with this new character. And I remember after the session, everybody was just like, oh, this was really fun. I really liked this. And that's what first like struck me like, okay, yeah, I think this has wheels. I, you know, we can, we can definitely roll with this concept. And that's just a personal way we're kind of, and that's something we're going to, as we come up with our system more, we're hoping to implement more. But we we have allowed our players to do that. We have offered quite a few times if they would like to make alts, as we call them, I guess, or whatever the many names we have. But we have offered that. A couple of them have taken us up on the offer. Some of them have not yet. We'll see as we kind of go along what they want to do. But uh, if they do, that's fine. If not, that's fine as well. So Yeah, this might be a good time to segue into entertainment this city <laughs> might provide yes. and there's several there are several <laughs> topics uh that we could get in and touch on uh of in terms of entertainment i guess we can kick it off with the coliseum especially in your campaign uh the coliseum arena circuit whatever you want to call it is a pretty big deal yeah and we kind of that started because of your character i think is why i kind of ran with that is your character is originally a gladiator and so we kind of came up with we kind of there was several inspirations for of for it one of them was def jam i played this def jam game in college i think and the premise of it was is i don't remember which one it was i think it was fight for new york and you would basically if you won fights at these different places you would kind of take over that particular bar or whatever the location was and you would be making the income from the fights there so I wanted to kind of create something like that and then now it's kind of molded a little bit more as your character has been winning which he owned he hasn't really taken over any of the cities yet he's getting ready to start winning some titles soon so what we're kind of wanting to look at this as is the WWE coming through and kind of picking up it and making it more of a unified circuit instead of all these cities having their own, you know, there's several fighters within the city. So you have beaten a lot of the underlings of the different cities, but now you're getting ready to start challenging the champions of the different cities. And as you're beating them, you're going to kind of be unifying 
the championship as I think of it. So a little bit of WWE motivation, a little bit of Def Jam from back in the day. <laughs> and there's a lot of other stuff going on. So I think it's fun. I, I've enjoyed it. But yes, yeah, so, so it's a big form of entertainment. And that's actually how the group enjoys betting on you. We'll see. Hopefully that kid keeps paying off for them, but you never know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it, this The fun thing, I think, that started with this, so, you know, Desco was born and raised a slave into the Black Sands arena, and that's kind of where he made his name, the name for himself. Mm-hmm. And really, the Coliseums, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw this more as it's more of an underground thing that happens. And while death is not something that's forbidden, it's definitely looked down on, I would say. It, so it, usually the fights don't go to the death unless, I think you said it, unless it's been prearranged. Yeah. So the Black Sands Arena was a little different because it's, that was even more so than the Bay of Bones. That was like the real, it, it was basically a coliseum in the desert. The, the city, the main thing in the city was the coliseum. And I think fights to the death were more common there because it was a little more brutal. But within the more civilized world, death is not typically, it doesn't typically happen unless there's an accident. Mainly because they want the good fighters to still be around to keep generating revenue with the fights. But the Black Sanded Arena was a little <laughs> bit more of an exception. And I think you ended up killing Brick there, I believe. The, well, your first fight. But he, yeah. He was only because, good. yeah, only because that turned into an assassination attempt. Yes. Which, yeah, we could, that whole thing. So, yeah, we kind of have that going on. So that's, yeah, the Coliseum. And we're going to, that's going to be coming a much bigger thing as your character starts winning the belts. And uh, you kind well, of talked to me about some of your ideas yeah. for that. And I, I do enjoy, <laughs> I, I like to kind of give the players a little bit of what they want if it makes sense in the world, especially if I'm excited about it. So you got me excited about it. So, well, and that's kind of what I see Desco kind of starting to do is like, because Desco is all about, wanting his name out there desco Mm -hmm. wants to be in the limelight he wants that attention and so i see him kind of taking it out of the underground and making it more of a bigger thing that's not as hidden oh and it will be it'll be huge (laughs) and and this is a good point Uh, you and you might sit there and say oh there's no deaths you know this is this isn't realistic and i would say there aren't any deaths but it's, it all comes down to money and respect. You know, you don't want, you know, if your fighter ends up, you know, on the bad side of a fight, you don't want to lose the investment you've had in that fighter and vice versa. And so, you know, in order to keep the money flowing, it is good to keep the fighters around and have these names. So when a, a big name does come up for a fight, you know, that's bringing in money. Well, and another thing to make note of is some of the fighters that you have beaten will probably eventually be wrestling kind of for you as you get this thing set up. So, you know, if you'd killed them, you're losing some of the big names in the business. You know, if if the WWE every time Triple H had beat somebody, if he killed them, it's like, well, you know, okay, they're gone. You know, you lose the match, you lose your job. <laughs> you're fired. Sorry. And if we're talking Triple H, of course, he probably would have, <laughs> there wouldn't have been any wrestlers left during the reign of terror. But, <laughs> uh, 
maybe we'll have to we'll have to have a triple h uh replica you'll have to fight later that'd be intense uh, i have some other <laughs> interesting ones that you'll be meeting so um one other thing i guess we can go to the bars there has to be bars in every town <laughs> that's yeah. i consider that entertainment i always make the barkeepers in every city that's one thing i always design completely i always give them a backstory because i know there's some group members that will always be visiting the bar and i i think that's just universal no matter what group you're in someone's going to the tavern someone's going to the bar i mean how many campaigns start in a tavern <laughs> quite a, a few lot. yeah, yeah. Which, which I think is fine of, because if you think, uh, if you're building a more medieval space, that's the water cooler, you know, that's where everybody mm -hmm. gets together and gossips and talks about good, what's yeah. what's going on. Yeah, and, well, and there's information going around the bar, too. So it's a good place to gather information and yeah, there's all kinds of things. So entertainment wise, I'm trying to, I'm sure there's brothel, of course. <laughs> One of our some of our players like to frequent those but i think i don't yeah. think i always i don't always put a brothel in the cities i most towns i've created there probably would be one if the group was actually looking i'd come up with something but i don't typically i don't always make one but <laughs> maybe i should start doing that but i would <laughs> assume most cities have one <laughs> in the fantasy setting unless they're i don't know the paladin town might frown upon that I can honestly say in all the cities I've created, I have not developed a brothel. I think the Black Sands Arena definitely had one, and a player went there. I think... <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually, it was kind of funny. I forgot about that. Uh, what was the name of that? The brothel... Oh, it had a name. Oh, I'm never going to think of it now. It actually had a name that made it sound like it was a magic shop. And I remember one of the players going in there was looking for magic items. It's <laughs> like, oh. So yeah, brothels. I, mean, I think that's the only one I've actually made. I, like I said, the group hasn't... They they really don't frequent them that often. They go more to the bar, so... Yeah, I have had one of my players create one, but... That oh, yeah! Completely, oh, yeah. You didn't completely of their, yeah. their own that's doing. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, the no, I, the something dragon, the angry dragon. No, nope. I know the name. I just I don't know if I want to say it. I okay. don't know if it'll... this is a family friendly <laughs> show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Not that it the name in and of itself is bad. It's just very suggestive, which this player is. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a bard. So yeah, one hundred percent that way. But <laughs> your typical yeah. bard, yeah. And what makes it funny is he's a picus or a rabbit folk in our world so <laughs> he's just this tiny little fluff thing yeah he's had pretty good luck most of the time with his adventures but so yeah so well he yeah, and a player i guess if they want to create that that'd be something you could <laughs> yeah hopefully they don't start doing that in mind all of a sudden we'll have a chain of brothels popping up the Vern's tavern <laughs> Vern's palace yep and then i guess you know, moving on from that, you can have festivals, holidays, celebrations, something that, you know, in your world or maybe just the city specifically, they celebrate. And I know in my campaign for you, I've had basically, <laughs> it was 
a jousting competition, an archery competition, you know, wrestling, drinking. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of games for you to play. Uh, and then you'd actually come back and they were having a celebrate, getting ready for a celebration anyway. But then it was made extra special because uh, as we had discussed in the previous one, you just returned from saving those two townsfolk from the Hydra. And so you, you and one other player had put in a lot of work to regale the townsfolk of your adventures. And you actually put on a play in the evening retelling everything you had gone through. And that was, I, that was a really, that was an in-person session. It was. As yeah. well, I think. So, yeah, we had put on this performance. And I remember really enjoying that. It was actually a really good bonding moment for my character and Bardock, who was the mage in our group at the time. It was a really good bonding moment because him and I came up with this huge elaborate thing we wanted to do. And he did a lot of magical illusions and actually used a lot of his spell slots to do it. And I kind of was acting out as well. And it we rolled really well and the whole performance went over really well. I remember that was a really good moment. I mean, I remember it was a really good bonding moment for the group and yeah, all the big parties we've had are good bonding moments, including the one we had more recently, <laughs> which uh, the the summer solstice. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in my world, I have kind of a summer jubilee. Each season has like a jubilee, uh, basically just a general celebration where different things happen. And I think you know, in another conversation, I expressed to you my fears with having festivals and stuff because if you go through and you can put in all this work. I had a whole system written up for the archery, a whole system written up for players wanting to joust. And I had brackets and, you know, there were arm wrestling, card playing games, dice games. And my fear to you was you can do all of this but it's the players that are going to make it special. And if the players don't engage in it, it's just going to be like, oh, well, yeah, that happened. And, you know, the day will end and we're on to the next. And it's just, and I've been just really happy and <laughs> surprised that everybody is really engaged every time I've had a celebration like that. So I have to keep that in mind for future campaigns and celebrations usually go over really well and that even comes in as we could have this lot to be another topic down the road but creating those celebrations are they regional or are they city specific and we've talked about some holidays we'd like to do down the road but like we could do a whole another yeah. <laughs> episode on holidays and i think it's okay to base them on light real life holidays too but i, I think it's a lot more fun if you put your own spin on it i just I think we've talked about Halloween before and we do have an idea for more of a it's not really a creepy holiday but we didn't want to do like we're not going to be going around getting candy or giving out candy it's a whole separate thing it's, but we, we've talked quite a bit about that and like I said this would be a whole separate episode but it's okay to have a basis on a real holiday but it is really fun if you kind of make it your own or even really just make a whole holiday yourself is even better yeah, and I think the easiest holidays to create are ones based off the seasons, changing of the seasons. 
because that's just natural world. What are you celebrating? Are you celebrating the harvest? Are you celebrating the dead? Are you celebrating life? What those are easy to kind of start once you start thinking of that way, you've got that. And then you can start thinking of, you know, maybe the different deities you have and are yeah, I was going to say that the divinities, a celebration for a specific divinity would be nice. And and each one that you have would probably have their own day, but it would probably be very specific to that group that worshipped them, <laughs> that they celebrated, but it might not be, you know, a worldwide holiday. And that's perfectly fine. And, I, and we had talked about this, that helps kind of make the world feel bigger and add flavor because if the group travels to another region and they're celebrating something it's like oh what are you celebrating i haven't heard of this so another thing i think we should just briefly touch on i know we had said this could be a whole separate session in itself but the currency system are you using standard gold silver copper you know bronze pieces Or are you doing something different? And we have a completely different system in mind for our currency. But as we kind of said, if we get into that tonight, it's just going to be another hour of us getting lost on that. But just keep that in mind. Does the government there have a currency they put out? It doesn't sound that important. And I know if you're playing 5e or pretty much any Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of them, it's just a very basic, you know, copper, silver, (laughs) gold pieces. But you do can think of, you know, are there different currencies that are spent? Are certain currencies worth more? It's just a small thing to take into consideration, but it is something to keep in mind if you want to do something a little different anyway. Definitely. And there's no problem if you're restricted on time to just go with what 5e or whatever system you're running, if they have a monetary system, just I would say use that just for simplicity, because most time the players are going to be familiar with it anyway. But like us, if you are building your own world, if you want something unique, that's when I feel it becomes a little more important because that can help dictate how your cities are ran and how they Mm -hmm. operate and what's important to them. Brothels, bars, (laughs) and coliseums, the entertainment. And then, you know, is there a global currency? Is currency regional? you know if you have one nation and another nation do they have their different currencies it can get complex very quickly and that could be a whole (laughs) issue battle and everything else and we had that in ours with a group taking uh, the group helped the hunter who are kind of our dog they're viking dogs basically but they actually took over a city which the group is kind of operating out of but the group that's kind of in control doesn't really like that city so it's kind of you know you think of currency they're definitely not going to be trading with them you would think and who knows what they'll be bringing to bear against them so yeah you could even use that as part of a campaign plot too you know different you know are they not going to trade with them anymore they lose all those resources now it's a threat all kinds of stuff you can do yeah and i think that brings me into maybe one of the last points i really want to make is what threats does your city face Uh, especially if we're talking in terms of Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or any other fantasy realm you're talking about, because you're going to be dealing with fantasy races, fantasy creatures, you know, what threats are the cities facing, you know, because in terms of you think of a dragon attack, Mm -hmm. you, if you have a threat of a possible dragon, you're probably going to build your city a lot differently (laughs) than 
you know, we did in, you know, our reality and our understanding of what they've done in medieval times, you're, you're probably going to have a whole different concept. And so that's something I've been really thinking on as I've been building out my own world is, okay, what are the walls going to be like? Do, do the walls need coverings now? And I've even gone so far as to put in, you know, this rudimentary, you know, radiator <laughs> system of heating water and running it through the walls to keep, you know, ice off the walls and keep the uh, those soldiers keeping watch on the walls warm, you know, on winter days. Or... And I guess that brings up to what kind of a technology does the city have access to? And you don't have to make it modern. You can make it magical nature. Yes. So you could like all that radiator system you're talking about. It could be magic. It's, it's magical in nature, not mechanical. Exactly. And, but the, again, that ties into how wealthy is the city? Does the city <laughs> have the money to afford you know, the magic to set it up, yeah. To do that, or is there just a friendly, you know, <laughs> magic person in the city who's just doing it to help out because that's their home and they want to see it protected and kept safe? But you're probably going to have towers with turrets and you're going to have people watching the skies, and there's probably going to be very specific things that you have set up to deal with these fantasy races that in monsters that they might find in that region. Mm -hmm. I think there's an example of that. I won't remember the name of the city because it's been a while since I've watched it. Do you remember in Game of Thrones, there's a city that had these like massive, massive walls that like no one could take the city out until like the dragon, the Targaryens came with the dragons and the dragons mm -hmm. just, the walls meant nothing to the dragons because they weren't, the walls weren't built to defend against the dragons. The walls were <laughs> made to defend against any army that you could think of. But the dragon basically just came and torched the city because, you know, they landed on the walls and blew fire in. So the walls were pretty much worthless. So <laughs> I just was thinking of that when you were talking about that. I'm like, yeah, whatever that city was, it just got decimated <laughs> because of the dragons. That Yeah, and, and that's... If you don't have any defense systems ready for that, there's just nothing you're going to do about it. Yeah, we'll see how well prepared the group is for some of the attacks that come later on some of these cities, but we'll see. We defended your city pretty well in that one battle where we were getting attacked by the demon army. Yeah, you did. You you had met the minimum. I think you did better than that, but yeah. Yeah, I wanted to, that was actually a pretty fun fight defending the large scale, you know, large scale battle like that, which we're still trying to figure out a perfect way to do those large scale battles. We've kind of talked about a couple different ideas, but that could be another session as well. We'll have to get a little more data on that before we do that one, though. So, yeah, I definitely want to come up with specific systems for having large scale battles and uh, just siege battles and bigger fights so it doesn't take you know five sessions to finish a fight yeah and i'm sure the group would enjoy smashing large infantry like a large amount of infantry units but you also have to take a little bit into consideration if you're fighting that many the sheer numbers could eventually overwhelm you <laughs> even as a player if you got caught in the wrong spot so there's a little bit to think about on that we're we're working on it so yeah. Well, that makes me think of like Total War Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, the big battles, even when your heroes get caught yeah, well, and even, surrounded. 
yeah even your lord like if your lord gets surrounded if there's just the numbers are too overwhelming like if you can't get them out <laughs> that, that bad news that being said i have had lords take down a lot of <laughs> enemy units before i think i got mm-hmm. down to one time i just had my elf hero and like a few other units left and he actually managed to win the fight almost single-handedly i was like kind of kiting them around and using his magic and just like i ended up winning by like the skin of my teeth but yeah and i see like the players more as the <laughs> the players more as the heroes in that game and your heroes can do a lot of damage but if they get surrounded you're just they get overwhelmed Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that rambling, please consider supporting our podcast. You can show your support for the Lost Geeks on Facebook and Discord. We anticipate your collective feedback and suggestions. We would like to offer our sincere thanks to Nomad. That's K-N-O-M-A-D for providing his musical talents. You can discover him for yourself right here on Spotify. We hope you return for our next episode. And I do apologize for the cutoffs. If I don't stop them, then no one will. They are lost after all. Till next time.